Hey, what's going on? Hey, Rob, how's it going? It is going well. Welcome to Not Another Education Podcast, the podcast where we can't promise you'll learn anything, but if you like great chat and awesome guests, then you are in the right place. Rob Lawless joins today, and Rob is on a mission to meet 10,000 strangers just to have a conversation with them. I reached out to Rob as his project really spoke to me and his work made me realize how much I really value human interaction and how I just really missed having conversations with people around me since working from home, of course. Rob seeks to perfect the craft of conversations through public speaking and his project, 10K Rob. Give it a follow, it's really interesting. This is an insight into our conversation. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's more centrally located where I am now, um, which is nice because I'm just starting to get back to in-person meetings and I'll ride my bike to them. So it's uh, nice to be like able to ride quickly to places. I know. I I really miss the social aspect of being in an office, but um, it seems like uh, in the UK, we started getting back to it and then uh, when we got the Omicron variant, um, they stopped it again. So we're all kind of back from it. I think it depends where you work, in all honesty. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but if, if if you do something kind of like I do, where you can do it at home, you're kind of discouraged, I guess, from going in the office. And so, yeah, you kind of just have to have to play it by ear. But yeah, I do, I do kind of miss like catch ups and stuff. I used to work like in the city and then... <laughs> Yeah, we live like really far out in the sticks. So, and which works, we're quite outdoorsy, like me and my family. So, oh, nice. Try, yeah, yeah. Like we try and um, we try and go for loads of walks. We used to kayak quite a lot and um, oh. live, like near um, like a canal. And yeah, it was uh, really, really nice to, to have time to do that in lockdown, I guess. But um, yeah, it's, it's just really nice. Like I, I think like when I saw what you were doing as well, where you're just like trying to meet people it just spoke to me in a way that like I, I guess because I, I love meeting people as well mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like thinking that somewhere in the last two three years like I feel like we've lost that a little bit where you know people live very much in a digital space and they don't tend to I guess they don't really tend to value proper communication as much mm-hmm. um, so that makes me quite sad but I I definitely still do and so when I saw what you were doing I was like oh that sounds really really cool I actually I actually saw you on like another podcast that I, I follow um you know Joe Santagato um oh yeah, yeah. Based in Brooklyn. <clears throat> um so yeah yeah but I, I bet he's fun to me isn't he um yeah what did you say you bet he's what is he based at, he's, I think he's based in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, yeah, they're in New York. Um, oh. Yeah, he's cool. I, the Other People's Lives podcast. That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I didn't know about them until, actually I had been on a different podcast and I just posted about it to my page. And then someone replied and they were like, you should try to be on this podcast, Other People's Lives. So I knew nothing about them, but I was like, hey, someone told me I should be on your podcast. Like, let me know if you're interested in my story. <laughs> and this was on like a Tuesday and they were like, yeah, let's record this Friday. So I had it with them <laughs> that week. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of overlap in our journeys. 
despite like the differences of mine just being to meet people and there's being a podcast but yeah they I mean they it's like every story they hear is wild and yeah I follow I haven't listened to any of their full episodes I don't listen to podcasts too much although I just was on a road trip and should have listened to them um (laughs) but yeah their stories are wild I see them pop up on Instagram and like I, I love them. Like I, I love what they're doing and someday hope to meet them for the project as well. Um, Cause like, we've had like our good conversation with each other. So um, I'll have to be part of it someday. Yeah. That, that, that would be really, really cool. I mean, I am, um, I don't know if you've ever, with you saying you don't really like listen to podcasts. I mean, I, I love people's stories. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of why I got into what, what I do. Like I, I live for stories essentially. Um, and I'm always like striving to be like a better storyteller. Um, mm. I think kind of think the only way you can do that is to just learn about as much as you can while you can. Um, and I I follow this podcast called The Moth, which mm. it's been go- it's been going for like so lo- so so long, like forever. And they do like a lot of live shows as well. Um, I have some of their books as. And I think like sometimes what makes like the best story is effectively uh, it can be like the most exceptional story, but sometimes it's how you tell it as well, um, which always makes more sense for it to be something like quite personal to somebody, <clears throat> which is why I quite like the, the other people's lives podcast. You know, it's just like a really raw, really mm-hmm. nice account. And the thing is, like a lot of people feel like they don't have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Or just sit there really boring and ordinary and that they're just you know that they don't have anything interesting to say and it, it's not true it's not true yeah I get that all the time in my project people message me and they're like oh I'd love to meet but I'm not interesting like everyone else you talk to <laughs> and I'm like everyone is interesting I'm not even trying to find interesting people I'm just I'm answering who reaches out to me it's not like there's a qualification that you have to be interesting <clears throat> but I think everyone is interesting when you boil their life down to like five sentences. And also I think like the most interesting people to me of all the thousands of people that I've met are just people that are interested in stuff. Like yeah. if they're authentically interested in their own hobbies or their own work or whatever, that to me is interesting because it's contagious. And like, I want to learn why they're that way about it. So yeah. yeah, I think people miss, like they think they have to be like, skydiving every day or doing like these crazy <laughs> things but yeah just yeah, to well, live a normal life <laughs> yeah well, I mean I I do have a bit of a confession because um I, I did a, a really short recording this morning actually um with a really good friend and I was like, I'm quite nervous for, for, for our meeting mm. um and I was like telling her about your project and and the, the meetings you, you hold and I was like, yeah, I don't really do any of this stuff. Like, so similar to what you said of your matches, I don't really do stuff. Like, you know, I have I have hobbies, but um, I I, I guess like for me, it, it's I've been on quite quite a strange journey. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an extraordinary one. Like, we we grew up abroad, and then we moved back to England, and then I I I went to America for a little while and studied there, and I was in um in Michigan which I loved. I'd never been to like, I call it like proper America. Mm-hmm. Like, it isn't Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I meet like real Americans and which probably sounds like quite a strange 
phrase, but I guess people who aren't interested in, you know, taking taking your order in a restaurant mm-hmm. in Disneyland, essentially, you know, people who have, have spent their lives in like a, a town and they have family and um, the, the college system is so different to England as well. So, mm-hmm. so different. Um, it was it was real eye opening. Um, I trained as a teacher and mm. um, like a primary teacher and and teaching over there. I got put in a kindergarten class and it it was just the most surreal thing. So, so surreal, um, but incredibly insightful and interesting. And I came back to England with all these ideas. I remember somebody saying to me on my teacher training, you're not an American anymore, Amy. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Are you saying that my experience is valid? It's just uh-huh. a really, really weird thing. What, 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 what are you doing um, in Pennsylvania? <coughs> like work-wise? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to <coughs> Penn State University, which okay. is, uh, yeah, like, uh, it's the biggest state school in Pennsylvania. Um, and then I studied finance there. I graduated 2013. And then I started doing consulting for Deloitte, this company. Um, I did that for a year and three months. And then I left to go to a tech startup that I had heard about through one of my colleagues. And it was in Philadelphia, which is where I'm from. So I was like, cool. Um, I went there in October of 2014 and I worked for them for a year and nine months and I like moved into the city for that job and everything. And then in that time, like once I lived in the city, I wanted to do my own thing. I had minored in entrepreneurship in college. And then I had also, yeah, just always been interested in entrepreneurship and starting my own business or something. So I missed that sense of community that I had at Penn State. And I decided I was going to recapture it for myself by meeting people. And then I was going to turn that into this crazy project. And I was going to turn that project into my career because that would be my entrepreneurial endeavor. So I started this in November of 2015 while I was working at the tech startup. And then eight months later, that company was bought out. So I was laid off. Like I didn't, I didn't quit or anything. I just didn't have a choice. So instead of looking for a new job, I decided I was just going to dive into my project and I haven't looked back. So I haven't worked for anyone else since July of 2016. And I've been crashing. Yeah, I've uh, crashed with friends and whatnot. Like I've stayed with family. So from May of 2017 up until January of this year, I've stayed with other people, whether it was friends or or back at my parents. And then I started to get into public speaking last year. So finally was making money again. And that was why I was able to move out on my own. So the project, like now my life is like, I try to meet three new people every day for the project. And then in the afternoons, it's all like calling schools, emailing schools, trying to get in touch with companies, having meetings with them to potentially speak there. And then that's how I'll make money to support the project. But yeah, it's, and it's pretty cool. Like I am very early in it, uh, in the public speaking world, but some of the people who inspired me to really step into it they've been in it for like five years and they charge like 20 to $30,000 per speech. And yeah. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So the numbers do work out at some yeah, point. Just like, a bit. <laughs> yeah. If you can get into it. Cause um, the one girl, Michelle Poehler is the one she r- ran a project called hello or a hundred days without fear. Is that uh, where she did like a hundred days of something that scared her in consecutive days. And, 
now she speaks at it and she's like a wonderful presenter and speaks at conferences and corporations and stuff. And yeah, when I met her in 2019, she was charging 17 grand per speech. And she was like, I'm speaking 70 times this year. So I was like 70 times 17. I was like, that's a lot of money. So to me, yeah. that's the best way that I can, it like fits. Cause I could also explore the partnership route, which is something that I was doing over the past. And I just like started a mini partnership with this company <clears throat> where it's like the discount code and stuff. And I usually like to stay away from that, but I actually like the company. Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to like share what they work on. It's basically like a card game of questions where you can like connect with people on deeper levels. Um, that but, is cool. Yeah. And I've seen a few different versions of that out there in the world, but yeah. So that, and then speaking, cause I'm like, if I can speak three times a month, then I have every other day to meet people. And that's like, speaking is becoming a passion, but my true passion is this, is just chatting with people. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it's like such a lovely foundation to, to have that. But like when you say you're, you're wanting to, to like get into schools and speak, like what, what's the message? I'm, I'm <clears throat> curious, is, is, is it kind of like a, from a storytelling thing or is it like a don't lose the connection sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Like what, what's your like message to the generation it's kind of like so you were talking about like you feel like our face-to-face -face communication has kind of decreased over the last couple of years and I think along with that there's like a lot of social anxiety when it comes to interacting with people in person and I feel it myself like I talk to new people every single day but once I get back out to in-person stuff sometimes it feels like riding your bike without the training wheels yeah. where there's like because of here in Zoom or whatever, like you have much more control over the situation. Um, but I have this speech called How to Talk to Anyone. So basically I walk students through my project and what I'm doing. And then I walk them through this Ford framework of conversation, which stands for family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. And like if anyone, if you want to get to know anyone's story in the world, like all you have to do is lay that framework over a timeline of their life. Like, who were they as a kid? Who were they as a teen, as a student, like adult? Where do they want to go in the future? And you build it out by asking questions within those categories. So I tell the students like, hey, here's questions you can ask about family. And then I break them out into one-on-one -on -one pairs. So they're discussing their family with someone. And then we come back and we go through questions for occupation. I break them out into one-on-one -on -one pairs with new people and they discuss it. So then recreation dreams. And then I just kind of go through like the importance of goal setting and reflection, but it's gone really well because the students end up meeting four new people that they didn't know before coming into the talk. And they also have this framework of like, Hey, when I leave here, I can use this to get to know other people in different situations. So that's what it's pretty much what it's been for students. And then for corporations, <clears throat> it's the same exact thing but with more of like a diversity, equity and inclusion spin to it of like, if you want diversity, equity and inclusion in your company, you just have to get to know the people around you. And uh, I think so many companies miss that where they're like, we need to achieve these best practices and these statistics and these teams lead to these increases. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know that your person, your colleagues like backstory, like there's a disconnect there. You have to walk before you can run. So it's just giving people like the very basic of how you get to know each other. I, I, I honestly feel like that's such a powerful message, Rob, because 
like when I left teaching, I um I did private tuition for a little while. And so I would essentially travel and help like students from age five to like 16, um, right up to those really important exams. And what I found with like the teenage, like the older students anyway, it's like I'd see I'd see these kids like every week and they just like so now like they wouldn't know how to interact with me and like I'd probably come off as really cheesy and like a little bit annoying because I'd be like trying to talk to them and like ask them about like what's cool in their life and what they mm-hmm. enjoy doing and they're just like this is a really odd relationship because you're not my teacher but you're also not my friend mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and it's something that in England we definitely don't focus on in, in terms of communication and I do feel quite blessed about that because I feel like the generation that I'm from um kind of growing up in in late 80s and 90s like I feel like we were really taught to talk to people you know like probably against my will sometimes mm-hmm. when it felt really awkward um you know family situations and I do try and challenge myself when I I, I do feel that as well like social anxiety like going out and meeting people for the first time but I mean I did um a program like gosh it was a few years ago now where like basically they take of vulnerable teens and they take disadvantaged kids and they put them in like a essentially like a summer camp for three weeks and they basically it's called the challenge and it was supported by something called ncs it, it, it's not a rather two separate things now but they basically would say um every day you're going to do something that challenges you every day you're going to do something that makes you feel like a little bit uncomfortable but not to the point where like I guess that, that maybe doesn't sound right, but like, let's say somebody's afraid of heights. Yeah. <clears throat> like they would do like rock climbing or say somebody doesn't feel like great about, um, you know, kind of wading through rivers because it's like, oh, what's under the river? Like, is it like weird? Is it gross? And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we yeah, yeah. we do it. And and these are like, you know, inner city kids essentially who, you know, who, who wouldn't have had this opportunity otherwise. Um, and I just love that. And I, I, I feel like more and more as I, as, I went through teaching sometimes I'd just go even like younger kids like I last time I taught I had like a class it was a very small like village primary school where there's only 20 kids in the whole class in the mm-hmm. whole school mm. and in my class I had everything from a six-year-old to an eight-year-old um which is a huge developmental difference and sometimes it'd be so busy because of demands of the curriculum that I wouldn't get to like just ask kids like how's your day what's going on and I'd mm-hmm. hate that and the more and more I thought about it the more and more I hated it um and I thought like this isn't what I got into it for so I left teaching um in pursuit of other educational careers because there wasn't that much to do if you weren't going to be a teacher and you had a teaching degree you know um ed tech wasn't as strong as it it is now mm-hmm. um so it, 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 it is interesting and I feel like the more and more I kind of get into media production, I feel like excited because I've always like loved tech, but not quite understood how it works. I'm like teaching myself a little bit, but also I feel like I'm making a little bit more of a difference and mm-hmm. helping in a way that I felt like the constraints of the classroom, I, I couldn't. And I, I feel like I am like a relatively strong communicator. I don't think I'm the best by mm-hmm. any means, but I always feel like, I don't know, I, I, I could have done better in, in the classroom, but I just, you're just prevented from doing so, which is quite sad in a lot of ways. Um, so when I taught in America, it was very different. Mm. Did, you, did, you, did you enjoy kind of going to school in America? I guess like, I'm presuming, well, 
quite presumptuous of me, but have you ever studied anywhere else apart from the US? No, I haven't. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I like school. I, I went to Catholic school all my life up until oh. college. So it was kind of like, a, I don't, I, I mean, it's common over here, but I would say like, it's not, it was, it's different than like the public school system because you're like, most kids have like their elementary school, their middle school, their high school. I had a grade school, which was K through eight. So right, K right. through eight, I was in the same school the whole time. And then six, seven, eight, we called junior high, but it was still in the same school. And, um, and then high school, like nine, 10, 11, 12 was in a different school, but a lot of like the grade schools that played each other in sports and stuff would funnel into the same high schools. Sure. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I like wore a uniform my entire time which uh I never minded <laughs> yeah. like I wish that that was a thing I could still do today um yeah. <laughs> but yeah and I think that one of the things I've learned from talking to people from other countries I don't know how it is in the UK if it's like similar or different to the US but like for us school was so like half of it is academics and then half of it is like extracurriculars and like your involvement in other things and I feel like I talk to people from other countries and it's like they go to school to, to learn. Like they don't have like sports teams. They don't have like clubs because um, I was very involved. Like I played soccer. I played golf. I was in like National Honor Society. I did this school play my senior year of high school. Uh, I was in a community service club, um, like student council. So all these different things that were going on on top of learning in the classroom and to me, that was like, that kept me busy. And then that's how I was when I went to Penn State. Same thing, like I studied finance, but I was raising money for pediatric cancer, like to uh, benefit children with pediatric cancer. I was building houses through Habitat for Humanity. I was giving tours to prospective students and was part of a fraternity and helped with our homecoming efforts. So I had all these different things going on alongside my finance degree. And as I look back, like those things were more important than the time I spent in the classroom, which I yeah. think a lot of people get wrong um, where they go and they think like the only thing they're there to do is consume knowledge from a book. Like you could probably do that from home, like, but you can't get the connections at home uh, or like the, the network that you would build. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. It's it's weird in England because I think it one, it very much depends on the school you're in. Like most of our schools in England are uh, faith schools. So, uh, you know, there'll be Church of England, there'll be uh, mm. Catholic. I've worked in Catholic schools in England and everybody wears a uniform. Mm -hmm. um, no matter whether you're in primary or high school, or elementary or high school, yeah. everybody wears um, a <coughs> uniform, which I think in a lot of ways like they always do this debate don't they like oh should we should we abolish uniforms and then people are like it's a quality and all this sort of thing um and I do think in a, in a big way it is it is good to have a uniform because I remember working in the kindergarten in um Michigan and I was like it's just so odd that they're in their own clothes and then because of where it was you saw very quickly like a socioeconomic divide um of kids who'd come in in clean clothes and just dressed as you'd expect any like four-year-old to be dressed and then you'd mm -hmm. see kids who'd come from more challenging situations and um that 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 was as as clear as day and night which um it, it is sad because you'd, you'd hope that everybody has like a fair platform if mm -hmm. that's that's the dream isn't it that everybody has a fair 
chance um, to learn no matter what their background and yeah. that's just like another barrier like that's the way I see it but yeah the, the school I went to was um was very uh, strict on uniforms you had like one of those little straw boaters <laughs> you had okay. like a regulation scrunchie and like mm. matching socks it was a bit it was like what you'd expect <clears throat> in like a typical British school okay um <laughs> if you can imagine what they show in the movies that felt like that's what it is <laughs> but that's that's not that that typical and I think like in terms of extracurriculars like schools do offer and it is mainly sports um or like they'll, they'll offer things and like lunch times or whatever but it'll be the teachers delivering that when and if they can okay um because I think probably similar in the US like it's so underfunding at education anyway True. um it seems to be always at the bottom of the list and it's just like well it works how it is so let's just leave it alone mm-hmm. um but then it, it's weird because some schools like school my son goes to they finish like an hour earlier than normal schools and then they'll do like a whole hour of if they call it enrichment so they're like lucky enough to have like access to a lake so they'll do like kayaking or they'll do archery and that's that's cool that's not the norm but that's what you'd want for every school you know Um, yeah but it's I, i i do agree like when i think back to like my schooling experience like all those kind of extra things those extra opportunities and you know that those chances to make connections you wouldn't normally yeah but I also think like you've got to want to haven't you as like a person to seize those opportunities like it sounds like you had like such a full schedule kind of studying mm-hmm. finance I mean a degree is hard enough <clears throat> isn't it um and it's on I, I also think like the impression I get in the US is that is it like the more kind of impact you can make as well as your degree is that kind of you're expected to really embrace that experience whereas in the UK it's like just get through the four years of education just get yeah. through it and then find a job that's that's kind of like the feel that I get from here yeah well for us I feel like to when you give your resume to get a job and everything it's like cool you have a good GPA but what else did you do and okay uh that's where like it's like oh I was in a leadership position in this organization and this is what I did for the organization or I had this internship over the summer. Um, But yeah, there's, I think like a lot of focus on being well-rounded. Same for high school getting into college too. Like if you had all A's, but you didn't volunteer at all in high school or you didn't have uh, like a club or like an interest or something that you're a part of, you're not rated as highly as someone who would be maybe with like a lower GPA, but those very involved and stuff. So I feel like for us, that was something that was always like hammered into our minds. Um, Which is a good thing. That's a, that's a great thing to have, like, you're literally kind of prepped for that, you know, that you have to be this like well-rounded person and be part of the community as opposed to just getting through. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I feel like that's how, because when, when you get to like, you know, the part where you're st- relatively settled in your career you're at least on the path where I mean I don't really I I believe that nobody really knows where they're going or what mm-hmm. they're doing they're just trying to do the best that they can yeah but you know it's it, it's also good that you know say if you're on like a, a relatively happy pathway then it you know you you only start to think then well how can I add more facets to my life 
And if everybody had just done that <clears throat> from school or at least thought about it, you know, it, I feel like we'd be a little bit more progressive. Um, definitely in the UK anyway, but I mean, I feel like the kids here are so, so over-tested that it's mm. like, what is what is left really in terms of brain capacity when they're tested, like from, from age four, it's just mad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird system. It is. I remember um, when I when I was in college, and like even the tuition price of college in the US, like mm. there's no, there's there's no parents I've ever met, by the way, over here that actually save for their like child's tuition in England. Like really? no, like no no one does no one does that because everyone goes to university on a student loan, mm. um, which I know you can get in the, the US, can't you? But um, it's like not even recognized when you go for a mortgage or you go to buy a house or you mm. lease a car. Like it's not, it's not even recognized on your, your credit score because it's just like a thing that everybody has. Okay. And you just pay out your, you, you pay out your wages once you earn, I think mm. it's over 18 grand a year, 18,000 pound a year. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one, but um, going back to like when I was in, in, college um in the US my um they asked me did I want to share with because it was a group of us who came over from the same <coughs> university here mm-hmm. and they asked did we want to share with each other or share with um you know an, an American roommate and we all decided no 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 well we'll share with American roommates it'll be fun like it'll be different otherwise we're just gonna stick together we're never gonna end up meeting anybody Mm. <laughs> honestly it's the most surreal experience I remember getting there and my roommate Della um she was so so lovely and so warm and welcoming like she reached out to me before I even got there and was like you know um what what hobbies do you like and <laughs> I remember her boyfriend at the time showing me this like backpack of prepper stuff and I'd never seen anything like that like, I'd never I was just a bit like, what is this? And he, and I was like, are there a lot of natural disasters here? Like how that wasn't told to me. And he was like, oh no, like, you know, just in case of the collapsed civilization. And I was like really jet lagged. And I remember freaking out a lot about it. <laughs> and then I realized that that's actually just like thing, something that, you know, some people do. <laughs> but it One was quirky a- person, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, and I remember for Valentine's, cause it was near Valentine's day. They got each of these like massive knives. And I remember thinking like, we just get each other like roses or you know uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. a nice card or something we don't typically mm-hmm. we don't typically get each other really expensive um stuff and then meeting their families and just kind of learning um about the cultures and understanding like it's just amazing like how how welcoming they were because I feel like in Britain it would be I mean, my family, I feel, are a little bit different because we're we're from Liverpool, okay, and we're um we're very outgoing. Like, you don't leave my mum's house without um having having a stew or having like, you know, being fed all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and my dad owned like pubs and clubs in the era of the Beatles and stuff. So we've always mm-hmm. been quite a loud family. I'm the youngest of seven as well so my dad's been procreating for like 50 years something like that <laughs> it's just insane like my um my older sister is two years older than my mom because my dad remarried which is really strange but it works okay it works in our family um but yeah it's um 
it's lovely to see how welcoming they were. And I think my family, they kept saying, oh, you'll come home. You'll hate it. You'll come home within a few weeks. And I'm really proud that I stuck it out for two, two, two semesters, which was the full, full thing that I was meant to do. Um, and I loved it. Couldn't believe the price of the books. That mm-hmm. was insane to me. Um, yeah. I, I'd, all these like little things, like what you do on a day to day and we um we got invited to like frat parties and this was like a really weird thing for me to understand and mm-hmm. we didn't have like anything like that um but I love learning about other cultures and other other sort of ways people people live their lives because otherwise I feel like I just believe that everyone lived the way that I did and I don't think that's quite right yeah that's, um you know I'd I'd how how people live their day to days is uh I don't know I find it really really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a huge mistake that most people make is they think that their experience of life is the norm yeah. for everyone, <laughs> and so. it's like it makes sense because you're just not exposed to other stuff and you typically like. I grew up in the same house my whole life. My parents were always together. I was tight with my siblings, and most people that I interacted with or became friends with were in similar situations where like stable household house like parents together um so if I never ventured outside of that to meet like different people or or hear about their experiences I could have gone my whole life just thinking that so I think that's like yeah it's crazy to me how limited our perspectives of the world are even if we are someone who's like tries to be outgoing and stuff I was thinking about this because I I did one of the, these diversity, equity, and inclusion talks in January. And I was like, there's 7.9 billion people in the world. And they say <clears throat> that uh, like the most that relationships you can maintain is like 150 people, like close relationships. Uh, and I'm like, okay, if that's the max for an individual is 150, like compare that to 7.9 billion that's such a small, small percentage of the perspective of the world that it's just like impossible to, to understand like what everyone's different experiences are. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Was that, so you did a year of school in the US. Were you at Michigan, the university? No, we were at, um, at um, Hope, um, which is in Holland. It's like a really, really small Dutch town um but everything's super easy to find because everything's on a grid (laughs) it's not like in the UK where it's just like there's roads everywhere and you Mm -hmm. have to find your way (laughs) um but yeah it was it was lovely um really pretty campus and we kind of had to put um like three choices down I think Pittsburgh was my first okay but um because I did languages like I, I spent most of my my life growing up in Spain but mm. so I, I I did modern foreign languages as, as well as um primary teaching so the idea was to be a primary teacher and also teach Spanish or French and um they said in Pittsburgh that they're, they're just not offering that so um and then there is but there's there's a place in Hope College um in Holland Michigan and it's fab, you know, I went, I went to Chicago on spring break um, and I'm not being funny, but honestly, I, I thought I'd seen cities and I've never seen a city like that. Like yeah. The 
you can't even see the top of the buildings without hurting your neck. And I imagine New York is even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is so much bigger um, and busier. And there's like a rhythm to Chicago. Um, and I would love to go back. Um, I'd love to go see the friends that I, I made out there. And uh, yeah, we just spent, I was 21 at the time. And I remember we arrived on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago. And I remember thinking, oh, I didn't realize this was celebrated in the US. Uh, Like, what is this? It was uh like insane. Like there was like this massive party. They turned the river green. Yeah. Um, It was just um, like crazy to me. And we barely celebrate it in the UK. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, it's, um, it was, it was, it was amazing to see. I, 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 I mean, I've, I've traveled quite a lot, I'd say as a kid. Um, my parents used to travel like a lot. We only ever lived in England and Spain, but we traveled around quite a lot. Like we had quite long summers and stuff. So, okay. but I've never seen what I would say is a city like that, like a, mm. a city city, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was beautiful, really, really beautiful. And then we did all the stuff that like, you know, I imagine as, as a citizen in the US, you're just like, mm. Like, you know, Cheesecake Factory and okay. <laughs> you go you go see Sue the T-Rex um, in the Natural History Museum mm-hmm. there and you, 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 you go to the beach and it was um, it was insane. And, and my boyfriend, um, who's now my husband, he he'd never even been on a plane before. He's mm. terrified of flying. So to, to fly from um, Manchester, England to Maine to then Chicago O'Hare mm. was quite a big ask for him. And yeah, you know, he, um, he loved it as well. We always said we'd, we'd go back. Um, do you travel much around the US or do you kind of like stay relatively local? I have traveled around a, uh, a lot just because I was crashing with friends and stuff. So <clears throat> I, since May of 2017, so I lived in Philly from June of 2015 to June of 2017. So my lease was up at the end of May of 2017. And then that June, I drove across the country to Los Angeles. And I lived there for a summer with my uh, old roommate from college. And then I drove back to Philly and spent more time there. And then I went back to LA for nine months in 2018. And then back to Philly and then back to LA for three months in 2019. So I've driven across the United States six different times. So I've seen like, wow. uh, like, I've met people in like 20 different cities uh, for my project because I would just stop, meet someone, um, like go to bed, wake up, drive 10 hours, stop, meet someone. So I've met people in like Denver, El Paso, well, like Akron, Ohio, Cleveland, Chicago, Salt Lake City. Yeah, Denver, Vegas, Dallas, Nashville, Oklahoma City, all these different places. so I've seen a lot of it, but I lived in LA for a year and a half. So I know LA very well, probably better than most people who live there because I was in every different part of it every day. Um, and then I was in Hoboken, New Jersey for nine months, which is right outside of New York City. So I'd meet people in New York City during the, that time. Um, it was just like a, I would hop on the bus and be in like Times Square in like 20, 30 minutes without traffic. Um, so yeah, I was uh, lived in like three of the because I, I think Philly is the sixth biggest city of the United States. So 
believe New York is number one and then LA I think is number two. So I've lived in like three of the top biggest cities of the country. Have you got a favorite where, you, where you've lived? <clears throat> They're all different experiences. Like I feel most loyal to Philadelphia having grown up outside of here. And <laughs> sure, sure. I think if I could make an impact on any one of them, I'd do it here in Philly. Yeah, yeah. LA feels like a second home to me. It's just very like, the weather is so consistent. It's like 70 degrees every day. You're like, you're just wearing a jeans and a t-shirt and you're comfortable. Like I was there for nine months, the one year it rained probably three days of those nine months that I was there. So like, oh my God. Yeah, the idea of carrying an umbrella, you just don't think about it because it doesn't rain. So, um, and then there's like the beach and yeah, it's just a really cool place, but it's also very like, people want to be seen there and people want to like sure. fit in, which is not my vibe at all. I like a very low key vibe. Um, yeah. But yeah, LA is great, but I, it feels like a second home to me. My friend still lives out there. He owns a house out there now, so it will always be a second home to me. And then New York city is where I feel most alive. Like if I could choose to be in any location, it'd be New York city. Cause it's just like the constant stimulation. Like, there's the theater, there's the art, there's music, there's like the finance <laughs> side of things, marketing. Like I, I like the cities where people go to succeed. And it's just, you find that a lot in New York. So that drives me to be more ambitious in my own life. But even like riding the subway with people, I, I just like being amongst people on the subways or all of the foot traffic when you're walking around. So yeah, I like being around people and yeah, that definitely happens in New York. So I'm on a nine month sublet here and I'm already two months into it, two and a half months, I guess now. So my lease is up at the end of September. So I don't know where I'll be going after that. I'll either stay here in Philly. I'll go up to New York City. Maybe I'll pop back out to LA for a little bit. But yeah, they've kind of become like the three, three like major cities in my life so far. Like a, tri like a little kind of triangle of... Yeah, they very... Maybe not geographically, but <laughs> yeah, very yeah, thin triangle. Um, but sure, sure. yeah, and where where is so you said you were born in in England, but then like what was the flow of your life? Because you said you lived abroad and then you came back, and then yeah, so we um we've always lived outside of Liverpool, and um my parents owned businesses here, yeah, like big bars and clubs in in Liverpool, um. And we grew up in a really like busy house um, with lots of half siblings and we all love each other. We still do. And it never felt any different. And um, but we're all very different people. So me and my sister are from my mom. And then we have an older sister, Rachel, who is a single child. And then we have four others who were from my dad's first marriage. Um, and, you know, it, you can see kind of like the impact of their life. Like my dad grew up in World War II um, and we've all grown up in like very different like time generations. And so we all bring something slightly different and, you know, we, we changed schools. And then I remember, um, and then um, they'd been like, we'd had, we'd had like a second property in Spain for a while we'd had family over there. So they, I think they just decided to move. So that's what we did. We moved, um, we went to a Spanish school, which we just hated because we didn't speak a word of Spanish at the time. And then 
um, we moved to like an international school where you get like every mix of nationality you can imagine. Um, and no one was really from England, but everyone had to speak English. Um, and it was wonderful. You know, you'd meet all these different people, all these different stories. And it was just, it was fantastic. And we, we spent most of our life there. And I moved back um, when I was 16 to England and then had to like almost relearn how to be English. You know, I'd say, I'd, they call it like an international accent. So instead of like tuna, you'd say tuna or you'd say Tuesday. And <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but that was just, and everyone was like, why do you talk so funny? And I was like, oh, I don't know, where are you from? And you get a lot of questions about it. So it's almost like having to, you know, I dress very differently. I dress like, we. there was like a big surfing culture over there in Spain or, and we were like big outdoors people. We'd ski a lot and that sort of thing. So I dress very different to like, the all girls school I was put into um, coming back to England. So it was it was very much eye-opening and something that I didn't particularly enjoy as an experience. And then I feel like up until I went to university, I just kind of muddled through and really didn't know who I was. And I, I would only honestly say up until about the last three or four years, I've actually found out who I am. And I feel like that is the, the, the key thing is, is finding something that you know is you and when you're saying about LA people want to be seen like that's that's not my vibe either like I just I wouldn't say I'm super low-key like I have a social media and stuff but only because I like to consume the content but I don't I don't really post anything because I'm quite a private person like I remember catching up with my roommate from from the U.S. college and I was like, yeah, I have, I have, I have a three-year-old now. And she was like, do you have any more secret children? And cause obviously she's like, see my social media. And I have no mm-hmm. pictures of Charlie on there. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like he hasn't given me permission to do it. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's his, that's up to him if he wants to do it when he's older, but it feels a bit weird me doing it. So but yeah, it, it's taken a while for me to be, I think comfortable in my own skin. And I think that has been because I've been moved and then I had to fit into like, two different cultures and then twice um but I wouldn't I wouldn't say I, I didn't enjoy like the shift it's just more like you're trying to find who you are in a social situation or you're trying to find out who you are as well and like I remember distinctly like going way way back in our conversation about you saying how how to have conversations I remember trying to speak to these people in in the school in Spain and my sister Emma was like if you're struggling, literally just ask them, how was your weekend? And I was like, it's that easy. Is that it? Is it that easy? And she was like, yeah, just ask them how their weekend was. And honestly, it was the easiest way to make friends because like everybody, well, I feel like people like talking about themselves in general. And if you ask somebody, you show genuine interest, then I'm going to want to tell you about their weekend. And they might even ask you about yours. So um, yeah it's um that that that's kind of what I thought of when you said that but you know we're we're all kind of back in the UK now we're all spread a little bit all over the place I have sisters who are in Liverpool Emma is down in London um running her own business I'm kind of out in the sticks um you know just just enjoying nature and life in general and just you know taking stock like I was we went for a really lovely walk yesterday we've had like when you're saying it only rains like three days mm. of the year in LA, like every other day in England, it rains. Mm. So when you get like a good sunshiny weekend, it's amazing. It's so beautiful. 
So we um we took stock and we we went for a walk in a nature reserve. Um, and I just was thinking like, this is like what I need to remember. You know, when when I'm feeling like a little bit rough mentally or everything's getting a little bit much, is that this is on my doorstep and I can just go to this place that makes me feel like really insignificant in terms of those problems. Um, mm. But yeah, that, 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 that's kind of the, the flow of my life and where I'm going. I don't really know. I just want to be in media production. I've worked at BBC and mm. I found myself at Twinkle, um, which are, you know, that they, they are a worldwide company, but they started in, in the UK um, and that they're, they're fast growing. But, you know, the, the, the dream for me would be to, to work at an immediate outlet that, is doing nothing but honest and no bullshit mm-hmm. <laughs> content um that would be like the dream for me I guess um but in the meantime I'm just learning as much tech as I can and just learning my craft and it's a it's a big difference from um marking books in a classroom and I guess kind of doing lots of behavior managementy things and yeah yeah I, I, I do love education you know I I want to stay close to it it's just how close you want to be to it is really a choice, I guess. Yeah. How, how many years did you teach for then? Oh, it was about seven years, all okay. in all, which is a very minuscule amount to teach in, in the UK anyway. You know, um, most of my friends, they're going on 10 years now. Uh, I don't know how anyone does. They, they say something like um, the teacher retention in the UK, like 80% of teachers leave in the first five years. Hmm. Um, which I do get I totally get it and there's this definitely the stigma and guilt around it where um, if you leave like it's like bad I, I spoke to um, a teacher recently actually and he he recorded an episode of me and he's leaving to become um, he's opening his own baking school okay um, and he was telling me like when does the guilt stop mm-hmm. that's kind of like it stops when the kids know I think hmm. And it's weird that there's guilt even there in the first place, but it definitely simplifies. I, I know what that means because you do feel like the you, the kids see you more than they see their own parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that's the one thing I miss. If you could just shut your door and get on with your your teaching, that that would be the best because that is like the best feeling. But unfortunately, it's not like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very different. <clears throat> yeah. And then what inspired the media production stuff? Like what? Oh, it's so weird, Rob. Like I was on maternity and I was like, I'm ready to go back to work. And I just started applying for loads of jobs that I thought looked really cool. I was like, yeah, I, you know, I quite fancy that. It was everything from a detective. Um, I was watching a lot of Dexter at the time to um, games researchers for PlayStation and because they have an office in Liverpool and all these different like jobs that I was like yeah like I feel like I'd be proud to say I do that you know like I would enjoy that and um weirdly I didn't get a job at the BBC and then they rang me and said we have a job for um a Spanish-speaking um what we're doing like a Spanish offering which includes a game and songs and all this different stuff would you be interested in being like a Spanish researcher um you'd be kind of like heading up the Spanish side of it and there's also French and Mandarin as well and obviously I'm like what on earth like the BBC want me like this huge world service like I'm just like this teacher on maternity it's just so random obviously I snapped the hand off because <laughs> what a fantastic opportunity mm-hmm. I, 
And um, whatever anyone thinks about the BBC, I've got to say, like, it's the, probably the best place I've ever worked. Mm. Everyone is so lovely and open. And yeah, there are like constrictive barriers in, in certain elements of, of the industry like there are everywhere. But I've got to say, like, I've never met so many people in one space that are so passionate about what they do. Um, yeah, and I just like, I just want to do, I want to do this. Like, I want to do media production, but for education. Um, so, yeah, I've just kind of been on this trail. And then when the pandemic hit, um, they froze production on everything. Mm. So, like, I kind of had no choice but to leave. Um, but, yeah, I've kind of done, like, a bit of freelance for them. But yeah, I'm, I'm at Twinkle, which is essentially like a paid service, whereas the BBC is free um, okay. to like UK licensed payers. You like pay like mm-hmm. a license fee. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, I'm very early in it. I didn't do any like media production at uni or high school or anything. Mm-hmm. I just kind of just learn and get at home as much as I can. Yeah, I enjoy it. It's really really nice. Well, so- what about what about you? Like, are you what? Like, how long do you think it will be till you meet like 10,000 people? I'm 31 now, and I think it'd be cool to finish by the time I'm 40. So like nine more years, because it's been (laughs) over six. And I will probably hit the halfway point sometime this summer. So it will be at least another six, seven years. But actually, the pace at which I'm meeting people is slowing down because I'm spending more time trying to do like speaking engagements and stuff, but that's like a necessary part of the formula to keep the project going. Um, So yeah, I think like nine more years, I will say, but I I always say like, if it takes me 12 more years, that's fine to me. If it takes me eight, that's fine (laughs) too. Um, I think sometimes like a lot of people look at it and they're like, oh, he wants to do this so he can do something with it or like, so he can do something after And I'm like, no, I just want to do this. Like, I just want to do this and find a way to enjoy this journey that I'm on. And that's why speaking is like a part of it. Like there's ways to make money while I'm doing it. And I think afterwards, the plan will be to continue speaking as long as I can, because I think I'll always have the experiences to share. Um, And then I would like to be a professor in a university, having a course where students pair off one-on-one every class period and learn from each other's backgrounds as opposed to a textbook or a PowerPoint. And that is just like something I'm becoming increasingly passionate about because I don't see a lot of facilitated connection in university. And I feel like they're just missing out on like a major value for their students. And I think I'm also realizing like, and you talked about it, like no one really knows what they're doing. I've learned that through my project as well. And I think as we go through life, we assume that like the people that are in like the higher positions, like they know what they're doing. They know the best places or best ways to do things. And as I get older, I'm like, no, it's just normal people like trying to figure it out, most likely doing things the way that they were done before, maybe with their own new twist on it. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know why universities are not like they I always say like I had to take a public speaking course at Penn State which I guess is good for me because now I am doing public speaking, but every student, every business student had to take this public speaking course. Like if you look at the ratio of times you have to get up in front of a crowd and speak versus times you have to have a one-on-one conversation with someone and succeed in that setting, 
it leans very heavily like one-on-one -on -one conversation um so but they're not training people for that and i find that very interesting so yeah that's that's long long-term goal um but also like the project looks much different now than i thought it would just halfway through so i never anticipated meeting people virtually that only happened because of covid um yeah. and i'm like there's half of it and that's kind of what i like about my journey too is like sometimes it feels like i'm on a train and i just don't know where it's going like it's yeah, just that's cool taking me places and i'm here for the ride yeah yeah i, I, I love that i mean that's kind of like indicative of the whole thing is I mean it sounds quite profound but like life in general I think it's like all oh, this pressure isn't there of like know what you're doing know where you're going and know where, what you want in the next month the next six months next year and you can have an idea of what you want but it doesn't matter if like it's not exactly that way as long as what you're doing fulfills a purpose in some way yeah um feel quite strongly about that and honestly I feel so full from our conversation I just feel so uplifted it's been so lovely Rob yeah um, likewise yeah I've really really enjoyed it and I think what you're doing is just awesome I think it's so so cool um yeah and, and I, I I follow along every, every person you post so nice I'm, yeah I'm, I'm gonna keep doing so um yeah and I, I can't wait to tell everyone about what what I've spent my last hour doing <laughs> yeah thank you for being part of it um I really appreciate you hitting me up. I think it's amazing that we live in a time where you could hear a podcast from overseas of that I did with people here in the States and then you yeah. hit me up and we have the ability to connect. So yeah, I'm happy cool. we were able to chat and I appreciate you sharing your backstory with me. It's fun to follow along to all the places you've been um, and experiences you've had. So yeah, thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much, Rob, and best of luck with the project. Yeah, thank you. Goes. Yeah. <laughs> Take care. Have a good day. Bye, Rob. You too. Bye bye. bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode and tune in next week. Take care. Bye.